Mark chapter 1, go to verse 21. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 21. <clears throat> and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. Come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him? And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would grip our hearts to the degree that we wouldn't mind the disturbance that you bring as you insert yourself into our lives. We pray you find us faithful. And today, draw men and women to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat> a little over four days ago, a nefarious object floating 60,000 feet in the air quietly drifted across the borders of the continental United States. When that Chinese spy balloon showed up, quietly hovering over our country, drifting from the top of the country all the way down to the bottom. There arose in our country and in the citizens of our country a great disturbance. The news couldn't stop talking about it. The White House couldn't stop worrying about it. We were tangibly... Several days, we were tangibly reminded of the dangerous world we live in. That one balloon stopped airplane traffic, ground traveled down to a halt, kids were breaking out mic uh, telescopes. I saw them in my neighborhood. That's how I realized what was going on. It's that kid doing a telescope, then I saw it on the news. That one balloon disturbed the everyday events of normal life. Now, in a much higher, grander, holier way, in this passage, the man named John Mark is introducing us to the great disturber, Jesus Christ. 
And here in this passage, Mark takes us to the very inauguration when the public ministry of Jesus is launched, when his authority is established, when his power is seen, when the world is changed, unlike any Chinese spy balloon. And unlike the Chinese spy balloon that violated our rights, theme of my sermon, Christ has the joyful authority to disturb our lives. He has authority to come into your life and demand anything. I want you to take this passage, join me there. I want to look at this great disturber. I want you to I want you to see what Jesus will do, and I want to pray that he will do that in you. Let's, let's uh, go quietly, quickly in. We'll go gently before we get to all the action. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Number one, he will disturb the status quo. Jesus will disturb the status quo. The, the way things are normally going, the average life, he disturbs it. Join me there in the text, verse 21. The text says, they went into Capernaum. Who is the they? They is James and John, the sons of thunder. Along with those two brothers are another set of brothers, Andrew and Simon, who will become Peter down the road. These four men with Jesus go into a place called Capernaum. Capernaum. Let's think about that little town for a little bit. Capernaum is an old seaside village, a prosperous village, Capernaum, probably named after the prophet Nahum, the hometown of Nahum. It's right there on the Sea of Galilee. I've been to Capernaum. There in Capernaum, there's a Roman garrison. We'll find out in a little bit. Capernaum is a great place. Matthew, the tax collector, will be called to follow Jesus in Capernaum. Several miracles will happen in Capernaum. Peter's house, the next passage for next week, Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's house is right there in town. Capernaum has a, a river of miracles happening in, in the Gospel of Mark. All kinds of things happen in Capernaum. People are healed. Demons are thrown out. We're going to see a whole lot of that as Mark establishes for us the authority of Jesus over everything. Demons are cast out. Um, Jairus' daughter is healed. Roman centurion's servant is healed. At one time, Jesus uh, tells Peter to go fishing to catch the drachma tax. Peter goes fishing, he catches a fish, and in that fish's mouth is a gold coin. That happened in Capernaum. Capernaum is a great place. It has not changed in years and years. Later on in Matthew, when Jesus is given the woes, and he says, woe to Capernaum, his hometown. Jesus will say, if the miracles that were performed in you had been done in Sodom, in Sodom, they would have repented long ago. But we'll get to that, Capernaum. They went into Capernaum on the Sabbath, you'll notice. It's a Sabbath day. Jesus is going to change the Sabbath. The Sabbath goes from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. That's when the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath is. Jesus will go in on a Sabbath day. What they don't know is that he is Lord of the Sabbath. 
The text says in verse 1 that they went into Capernaum on the Sabbath and they went into a synagogue. See that word synagogue? <clears throat> synagogue is an assembly. The synagogue doesn't show up in Jewish life until the exile. When you go and read Jewish history, when the kingdoms fall, the northern kingdom falls and the southern kingdom falls, they go into Babylonian exile. Nebuchadnezzar wipes off Jerusalem, destroys the temple. They've got no place to worship in exile. So they start gathering in small groups, and they call them the assembly. That's where the synagogue comes from. The synagogue there in Capernaum had been there for years and years. It was an old one. It'll be torn down and rebuilt. I've, been, I've stood right in this synagogue. Synagogue is where you would learn the scriptures. The temple's gone. You would teach the scriptures, and when the temple was rebuilt, they kept the synagogues. People would gather. It became the centerpiece of the community. So for years and years in this sleepy little town of Capernaum, in this synagogue that had been built, Jesus had it as his hometown synagogue. Things are going to change. The text says this in verse, tells us in verse 21 that Jesus comes into that synagogue and anybody could come and speak, a visiting rabbi, you would have somebody that sort of ran the synagogue, but he wasn't necessarily the teacher in the synagogue. He just did the administration. And if you had 10 to 12 adult men, you had a synagogue. And various teachers would come. And here we find out it's going to open up for us that Jesus has come to wreck and disturb the status quo. Several things Mark is telling us in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is going to establish his power to cast out demons. Mark is, maybe more than any other, shows us how Jesus has victory over Satan by casting out demons. We also see a whole lot of healing in the book of Mark. And also, Mark, he doesn't give us the things that Jesus taught, but he tells us over and over again, more than any other gospel writer, that Jesus was a teacher. Capernaum. Capernaum is the epitome of the status quo, sameness. Now, brothers and sisters, Jesus almost always upsets the apple cart. Almost always when he comes into your life, there is some dramatic change that is going to happen. And if there has not been some dramatic change in your life, can you really say that Jesus has come into your life? He will disturb the status quo. We have the setting. Let's get into it further now. Something else I want you to notice. Verse 22, he will disturb the accepted cultural norms. We live in a world that has accepted cultural norms that are antithetical to what we believe as Christians. We live in a world that does not believe the things we believe about God. For the life of me, I will never understand why modern-day presidents put their hand on a Bible and swear an oath with their hands on a Bible. If they knew what was in that Bible, they wouldn't touch it. Jesus comes to disturb the accepted cultural norms. Join me there in verse 22. Jesus stands up to speak, and look how Mark describes it in verse 22. Mark says, when they heard this man speak... They were astonished. You see the word astonished, you'll see the word amazed 
down in verse 27 a little bit. That is a synonym of this word, but this word has a lot of power in it. This word astonished at his teaching. They were, they were ekplaso, outside. They were struck outside of themselves. What do you say? They were beside themselves. They were dumbstruck, how you might say it. They had never heard anything like this. What does that word mean? <clears throat> dumbstruck or awestruck or astonished. It means that they had this, um, they had this visceral reaction, this, this emotional reaction that was inexplicable. It doesn't make any sense. Let's see if I can illustrate it. There are people in this congregation, I know of them, that have a deep affinity for Taylor Swift. I am not among them. But there's a concert coming up, I think, in April. I'm sorry that I have that information, but I do have it. <laughs> I regret that I even know that, but I know it. <clears throat> and there are people that will go to that concert to hear Taylor Swift, and she puts on such a show that there will be in that Coliseum <clears throat> some people so moved, so inexplicably moved, that they will shed tears. Let me see if I can illustrate it another way. <clears throat> when I got engaged to Connie back in 1992, I was living in Fort Worth, Texas. She was uh, serving at a Baptist camp <clears throat> in Florida. She would go home and see her mom and dad in Mississippi. I would then try to drive over there to see her for a little bit. Our wedding was coming up, <clears throat> and I was uh, really anxious about the wedding. And coming across the Mississippi River on I-20 one day in my 1981 Volvo DL, I had a cassette player going. It was Elvis Presley. He was singing the American Trilogy. Go find it somewhere. American Trilogy, and I could feel tears welling up in my face. So I hit the eject bunk and threw that into the Mississippi River. What you have here in this passage is unexplained emotion. They were astonished at themselves. Look, at, look, at, look why. Look why they're astonished. Verse 22. Join me there. <clears throat> Verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus spoke with authority. That word, the word authority, exousia, and out of the inside. He had the authority in himself. Not like the scribes. They had plenty of, of talented teachers that come into the synagogue and would teach the scriptures and do it in such a way that they could understand. There's something different about the way Jesus did it. The scribes would come in and have authority that they got from somewhere else. They didn't have it in themselves, so they would refer to other people and other teachers, so much so that by this time, they've been doing it for hundreds of years, the scribes would keep citing other people. They would give one side of the argument, and then the other side of the argument. It might mean this, and it could mean that. First this side of the issue, then the other side of the issue, never actually taking a real stand and saying, thus says the Lord. It reminds me of some of the conversational preaching, the conversational 
pulpiteering than masquerades as preaching today. Go one side and then the other, and it could mean this and it could mean that. Instead of a proclamation, Jesus stood and he didn't cite anybody. He took the scriptures and he, he spoke with clarity and conviction and forthrightness and authority. Jesus will say, you, you like to read Moses. Moses wrote about me. Matthew gives us his teaching. Matthew says on the, in the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus will say, you have heard it said, thou shalt not kill, but I say to you, how could he do that? Because he had authority. I say to you, if you are angry, Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you on the inside, if you have lust for a woman, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. This man spoke like no other. John chapter 7, the Pharisees, it's a great story. John chapter 7, the Pharisees sent an officer to go and get and actually arrest Jesus and bring him back. And the that officer went on a bad day. It was John chapter 7. Jesus is there or close to the temple. It's when Jesus stood up and said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, from his inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. That officer heard that. He went back to the Pharisees and they said, Where is Jesus? That officer said, There has never been a man to speak like that. The scribes, they explained the law. Jesus is the law. The scribes, they doled out a little water. Jesus is the living water. And when Jesus comes in with such authority, he directs that authority at wrecking all the cultural norms. He's still doing that today. When Jesus speaks of sexuality, he speaks against our cultural norms. When Jesus speaks about manhood and womanhood, when he addresses marriage, he speaks against our American cultural norms. What has become normative in discussions of gender, maleness, and femaleness? Jesus, when he speaks of that, speaks against the cultural norms. When you see the ever-expanding LGBTQ movement, how, how does Christ and his authority and the authority of God's word speak? Jesus addresses money, your money, that you earned. What does the culture tell you? What is Jesus? When Christ speaks about singleness. When the Bible talks about being single for the glory of God, what does the culture say in a hookup culture? What does the culture say? What does the Bible say? 
We, we go into the issues of race. We start talking about race and racial reconciliation. How do we actually apply that? What do we take with God's Word? How do we approach brothers and sisters, especially in the confines of a church when Christ has knocked down all the walls that separate us? Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me stands over against the cultural norms. His teaching has authority. Here's what's happening in the passage and what needs to happen in our lives is that Jesus will disturb cultural norms. Is that disturbing? Before, before Christ comforts, He disturbs. Before you can feel accepted, there must be conviction. Before people can be forgiven, before you are forgiven, there must be a forsaking. It's, it's what is, has been known as the cruciform life, the life that has been modeled and measured and made by the crucifixion of Jesus. This is hard now. This is hard. This is hard when all of our cultural sensibilities, this is hard because we all have opinions that have been molded by how we were raised, where we were raised, what schools we went to. This is difficult because we have emotions and, and empathy. You know, what, you know when it's difficult? This is difficult when you have a child that you love and that child has wandered off into the cultural norms of the day and you, of course, have not and you, you, feel, you, you feel that, the tension there. So many parents have abandoned the truths of the Bible because they're kids. When you hear Jesus stand flat-footed and, and teach with, with declarative authority, there's no room for caveats. Look, we, we are countercultural people, and in the passage, when Jesus stood and taught, the people were in awe. But as astonished as they were, that astonishment is about to be interrupted. When we see that Jesus, he will disturb the evil among us. Join me there in the passage. Let's get to where the power is. Verse 23, 24, 25, and 26. It's an amazing passage. <clears throat> Let me read it and then I just want to point out a couple of things. Verse 23. And immediately, Mark just uses that word to keep the, keep the pace going. Immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. Come out of him, the unclean spirit convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Okay, there's a lot here. Let's walk through it quickly, you want to? <clears throat> Verse 23 says, there is a man with an unclean spirit. That phrase, unclean spirit, is always used to describe someone that is possessed by a demon, demonic possession, that it is dirty, unclean spirit. 
What's interesting is you do not find any of this in the Old Testament. You don't find it going on. You also don't find it after the Gospels. You find twice in Acts because the apostles had the authority that Jesus had delegated to them. So two times in Acts you find demon possession. But after that, it's never mentioned again. Why is that? Demons who we understand from the Bible are fallen angels. If it's true when Satan fell in Revelation 12 and one-third of the angels fell with him, fallen angels, they would live undercover. The difference here is that Jesus himself has shown up. Saying the first time the satanic force had been to the synagogue, wouldn't be the last, but on this day was a bad day for that demon. The text says in verse 23, when that demon realized that Jesus was there, you see him there in verse 23, what happens? <clears throat> and immediately there was in the synagogue an unclean spirit, and he cried out. That little phrase, cried out. When Mark uses that, he talks about this, this scream of being terrified. This is not the involuntary yell you might give if somebody startled you or scared you, set themselves up, you walk in a room, they jump out and scare you. This is not that yell. That's a little bit of a funny yell over there. That's not, this is not funny. This right here is the, the, is, is the scream of being so terrified. Mark uses it again in, in chapter 6 when the disciples are on the boat in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was not with them. And it's a stormy, terrible night, and Jesus comes walking across the water. And Mark says that the disciples screamed for terror because they thought Jesus was a ghost. That's the same word here. The demons scream out in agony. Why did they do that? Because they understand their doom. They understand what's coming on the way when... When God created the lake of fire, he did that for Satan and his fallen angels. That's where they were to go. That's where all sinners who are without Christ will go. The demon speaks in verse 24. Notice what the demon says in verse 24. <clears throat> Through the vocal cords of a man, we don't know anything about this man. We never see, never hear any description. Mark doesn't slow down. He's, he has a point of showing us the power of Jesus over the forces of Satan. That's what he's doing. Verse 24, the demon speaks. Notice what he says. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon asks, what is it? There's nothing between. What are you doing here? Notice the plural. There's one spokesman for us. What do you do to do with us? We don't belong in the same room. What have you to do? Notice the, notice the names. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? On the back end of that verse, Holy One of God. Maybe he was using the name Jesus of Nazareth as a, as a derisive name. Like Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Kind of a mocking name, Jesus of Nazareth. I don't think he was, though. I think from the mouth of a demon, you're hearing the gospel. 
Jesus of Nazareth, fully man. Holy One of God, fully God. We know who you are. We know that you've come to save humanity, fully man. We know that you have the power to do it, fully God. There is the, the seed form of the gospel Jesus, who would live perfectly, would die on the cross in the place of sinners. God will raise him from the dead. And the promise of the gospel is that any sinner that believes is saved. You see, the people up in verse 22, they're astonished because they don't know who this man is. And the demons are scared to death because they actually do know who this man is. And notice the question in verse 20, 24. Have you come to destroy us? What, there's a promise in that question the demon would ask because he knows there is an end date. Jesus speaks in verse 25. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus rebuked him, and this is what he said. Be silent and come out. There would be another way to translate that, but I'm afraid to say it because the children would hear me say it and it would be wrong. Shut your mouth. That's what Jesus says. And literally it is put a muzzle on it. That's the word, muzzle, muzzle yourself. And after that he just says, get out. Get my name out of your mouth. I don't need hell to be my PR department. You don't say my name like that. You see the authority there in verse 20? I mean, that's the kind of aggression is in this passage. Verse 26, uh, the demon comes out, and it's violently. Notice the description, verse 26. <clears throat> the unclean spirit convulsing. It's always like that. Convulsing him, there was a man whose son was possessed by a demon and asked Jesus to heal him because the demon was throwing him into the water to drown him or into the fire to burn him. It's always, always, always Satan's desire. You see this display of power in Jesus. Jesus commands and the demon does not want to, but because Jesus has the authority, he has to come out of there. We see it over and over Brothers and sisters, take comfort here. Breathe in some, some great confidence and, and comfort because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. A demon showed up to a synagogue. Demons showed up. Now we see them because Jesus is there now they're undercover as they've always been undercover. Demons are not what you see in the movie. Exorcisms are not what you see in the movie. Jesus alone has the power to do that. Jesus does that. Demons do their best work undercover, coming in, the, coming in where dead religion is, where false gospel is. And here in this passage, the casting out of this demon shows the invincible power 
that Christ has to save. If there's an unclean spirit, Jesus cleanses. Jesus confronts and rebukes and removes. Jesus breaks through any barrier. Jesus relieves any estrangement. Jesus washes away any bitterness. Jesus soothes anger. Jesus takes away hate. Jesus breaks addiction. Jesus can change desires. If that's the case, we don't despair. We don't give up. We don't stop praying and encouraging and, and fighting for family. Fighting for people that have been blinded by the power of the devil. Right here in chapter 1, Jesus defeated Satan in the desert and now here in synagogue, Jesus has the authority you keep praying, he will disturb the evil among us. One last thing and I'll be on my way. Number four, he will disturb the community around us, the community around us. This, of course, is an amazing event, and it's interesting to me in verse 27, the people, they see it, and what they are amazed at, verse 27 and verse 28, notice what the text says. They were all amazed, and so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching? Teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once, now business is going to pick up. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Two things. They were amazed and they started talking about Jesus. Here's the right response. Fear, we should fear. He's a judge. But then we run to that judge who is also the Savior. There's a forgotten step in salvation, forgotten step in modern Christianity. That is the fear of God. The fear of God shows us the mercy of God found in the Son of God, Jesus, so that you and I become children of God. And then after that, the people couldn't help but talk about the soul-changing power of Jesus. Jesus Christ, he has the joyful authority to disturb our lives. He will disturb the status quo. He will disturb the accepted cultural norms. He will disturb the evil among us. He will disturb the community around us. Come today to this holy disturber. You join me as we pray together. If your head's bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer and a time of response, see the power of the Lord Jesus. Come and give yourself to the Lord Jesus who lived perfectly, died sacrificially in your place, was raised victoriously for your salvation. Turn to him. And be saved today. When we sing, if you'd like to pray with someone, you want a pastor to pray with you or to pray for you, 
we would just invite you to walk down to the front here. Our pastors are right here, ready to pray with you. If you want to wait till after church, out in the lobby, we'll be out there as well. We want you to see and love and know the power of the living Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for this passage that is so strong. We thank you for the gospel that is real and saves. We pray that you would strengthen us even today. We walk out with great confidence in the living Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please as we sing together? <laughs>